have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Well, USA Today had a tragic poll that they reported on. Listen to this. 70% of Americans, including a majority of all major Christian and non-Christian religious groups, except the Mormons, say, quote, many religions can lead to eternal life. And then the article says, the impact of Oprah is seen throughout the survey. She uses the traditional language of the Bible and Christian traditions, yet she includes other religions to create a hodgepodge of faith. In other words, Oprah and her New Age weirdness have, has done her damage. Uh, then uh, they interviewed Reverend Frank Page of the Southern Baptist Church, quote, The number of churches that teach a clear doctrinal Christianity are a minority today. How would people even know how to be saved if it's never preached on? Jesus predicted all this would come. He said, quote, people will honor me with their lips, but their hearts will be far from me. In other words, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians believe it doesn't matter what you do with Jesus because all roads lead to heaven. I have a loved one who told me she's going to this United Church of Christ congregation. Normally that's trouble because the UCC is the most liberal, unbiblical of the denominations these days, of the Protestant denominations. So I went to the website. Pray for my, my loved one who's going to that church. The website says, we follow the way of Jesus at our church, but we also affirm other paths that other people have chosen as legitimate and just as valid as our path. Uh, and we're doing a series on the parables now. We're going to look at the parable of the vineyard, where Jesus is going to say loud and clear, everything depends upon what you do with him. He matters eternally. So, uh, let's do a parable today. If you've been watching the show, this is, uh, we're doing a lot of parables, one per show. The word parable is a Greek word, parabole. Para means alongside, bole means to lay. A parabole, a parable, is a lay alongside. Jesus would tell the crowds a story, and then later privately to the disciples, he would lay alongside the meaning of the parabole, lay alongside the parable. Today's parable is called the parable of the vineyard. And something about this parable, most parables only make one point, and you don't stress all the details to try to find symbolism and all the details or you get lost. Most parables just make one point. However, the parable of the vineyard is the most detailed of all the parables. It is the one parable you can press pretty much all the details. So what we're going to do is, I'm going to read this. If you get your Bibles out, Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read through this parable and just stop and say, can you tell me what this is? And see if you can, in your head or just verbally even, what is this, what is this? I think you'll get a lot of it, but not all of it. So here we go. Let's pray first. 
Father, it does matter what each of us does with Jesus. It determines our eternity. Lord Jesus, you didn't say all roads lead to heaven. You said John chapter 14, verse 6, that you are the only way to heaven. Teach us now through this parable, Lord. May we not be lulled to sleep by the errors of Oprah and the others in our culture. Speak to us, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 12, verse 1, the parable of the vineyard. And Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Here we go. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a deep pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it out to tenants. And then he went into another country. Let's stop there. Who's the man in this story? It's going to be God the Father. He, he planted a vineyard. Well, what's the vineyard? Well, we know if you read the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 5, God referred to the Jews, his chosen people, as his vineyard. So the vineyard is the Jews. And he rented, lent, lent the uh, vineyard out to tenants. Who would that be? Who were the leaders of the, of the vineyard, the Jewish people? That would be the scribes and the Pharisees. And then God, the man in the story, goes into another country. That would be symbolic of God's transcendence, that he's in heaven and far from us in one sense. Look at verse 2. When the season came, he, God, sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. All right. Uh, what does season mean? It means the time for obedience has come for the Jews. That's the season. So God sends them a servant. Who would the servant be? That's probably a reference to an Old Testament prophet that God sent the Jews to the tenants he sent them. Who are the tenants? Again, scribes, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders, and, and God wants to get some of the fruit out of this vineyard. What's the fruit? It's obedience. God sends the Old Testament prophets to get obedience out of the Jews. It doesn't work. Next verse, verse 3. And they took him, the prophet, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. What does the beating symbolize? The Old Testament maltreatment of the prophets by the Jews. What is the empty-handed symbolize that the Jews were not obedient to God in the Old Testament, overwhelmingly. Verse 4, again he, God, sent them another servant, that would be another Old Testament prophet, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed him. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent them, him to them, saying, they will respect my son. Who is the son, obviously? Finally, God sends Jesus to the Jews. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Jesus is referred to the heir of all things in Hebrews chapter 1. Come, let us kill him. That's a reference to the crucifixion, and the inheritance will be ours. What's the inheritance that the Jew Jewish leaders wanted to get? They wanted to get control of the Jews. If you remember, the reason the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted to kill Jesus, they were jealous of him because people were following them, him rather than them. So they're trying to get re-control of the Jewish people here. And it says, verse 8, And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What does out of the vineyard symbolize? I might be pressing it here. Uh, maybe it symbolizes the fact that Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem, but that's kind of iffy. Uh, verse 9, What will the owner of the vineyard do? 
he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyards to others. What is the destruction of the vineyard keeper symbolizes? It symbolizes two things. In 70 AD, about 40 years after the death of Christ, the Romans surrounded Jerusalem, went inside and destroyed the city, destroyed many Jews. And so that's one of the references. The other references is to the second coming of Christ, when he will destroy all the enemies of God. And he will take the vineyard, that means the kingdom of God, and give it to others. Who's that referring to? That God took the kingdom from the Jews and gave it to the Gentiles. And it would overwhelmingly, there were Jewish Christians, but overwhelmingly in the first century, the Jews rejected Christ and many, not, not a lot, but many Gentiles did receive Christ. Now here's a second mini parable. Next verse, verse 10. Jesus says to these Jewish leaders, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is, it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is quoting an Old Testament text. This is the second parable, the parable of the cornerstone. The stone was Jesus, whom the builders, the chief priests and Pharisees rejected, but God has made him the cornerstone. That's a reference to Jesus is the highest stone. He's the best stone. It's a reference to Jesus' resurrection and glorification. Verse 12, And they were seeking to arrest Jesus, but feared the people... For they perceived that he had told this parable against them, the chief priests, so they left him and went away. So ends one of the most detailed of all the parables of Christ. What I want to do for the rest of this sermon is to ask, what lessons can we learn for our own lives from that very detailed parable? So now let me just take you through what we learned from what we just read. Here we go. Lesson number one. God owns the vineyard. He has the right to expect our obedience. God has the right over his vineyard because he planted it. You know, we hear a lot about women's rights, workers' rights, gay rights, abortion rights. Hey, what about God's rights? God's the one that made everything. He's got the right over everything. He has the right to tell us what to do. I mean, think of it this way. Who gives you breath every day? Who gave you a mind that functions? Who gave you your body? Everything you have is from God. Don't you think he has the right to tell us what to do? He made you. He owns you. And I mean, I'm thinking of the two richest men in the United States, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. They're both agnostics. And here is what Bill Gates said a while ago. David Frost was interviewing him. Do you believe there is a God? Gates. In terms of doing things, I take a fairly scientific approach to why things happen and how they happen. I don't know if there's a God or not, but I think religious principles are quite valid. Just in terms of allocation of time resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could be doing on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and I'm hearing that and I'm thinking... Bill Gates, God has given you everything. You're one of the richest men on earth. Couldn't you bother to say thanks? God owns the vineyard, not you. So the, the first lesson is God has given you everything. He's got the right to expect obedience from us. Second lesson from this parable. You know how the prophets keep getting beaten up in this parable? Second lesson, if you are a prophet, expect ill treatment. Years ago, when I was still in the ELCA Lutheran Church, it's too liberal for me, so we finally left. But years ago, I discovered something that surprised me. I knew the ELCA was liberal, but when I discovered the ELCA was paying for abortions in its health care plan with offering dollars, 
I couldn't, that was incredible to me. So you know what I did? Because I got nowhere with the hierarchy. I sent out 11,000 letters to every ELCA church in the country saying, do you realize that some of the money you put in your plate can go to pay for abortions in the health care plan run by the church for pastors and their families? You should have seen the mail I got back. I mean, gratefully, there was a lot of good, thank you, Pastor, you're right, we should be protecting life. But some of the letters were so angry that I had taken a stand against abortion. Some of these were coming from Lutheran pastors. And you know what I learned? <laughs> if you take a stand for righteousness in this evil world, even in the church sometimes, expect <laughs> to get beaten up. Third lesson. The murder of the Messiah was caused by selfishness. Why did they kill the son? Because they wanted to run the vineyard themselves, the chief priests. And you know why most people reject Jesus Christ today? It's not because it's intellectually infeasible or unfeasible, whatever the word is. The reason most people reject Christ is selfishness. I don't want him to run my vineyard. I want to run my vineyard. I don't want Jesus to take control. And you know, can I just tell you this? How stupid that is? <laughs> Listen, if you're really selfish, if you really want what's best for you, you'll become a Christian. Being a Christian, it's what's best for you in this lifetime. It gives you purpose, meaning, love, joy, peace, patience. You'll get beat up some for your faith. But overwhelmingly, if you really want what's best for you, if you're really selfish, you'll become a Christian because it's best for you now, and it's especially best for you for eternity. So um, another lesson we get from this parable is you think you're being selfish? by not letting Jesus run your vineyard? You're not. You're being stupid. The best, most selfish thing you can do for you is to become a Christian. Let him run the vineyard. You'll be healthier and happier now and for eternity. The next lesson I get from this parable, God is slow to anger. It takes God a long time to get angry in this parable. He's got a long fuse. Finally, he steps in. Um, there's a story. I mean, aren't you glad that God is slow? To, if God wasn't slow to anger, we'd all be dead and in hell. But because God is a loving, patient, slow to anger God, we're alive and breathing. Now, there's a story of an atheist farmer in Iowa. He wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper. Dear sir, I am an atheist. My fellow uh, neighbor farmers are Christians. I decided to do an experiment. They don't work on Sunday. I decided to plant all my crops on Sunday. I decided to till all my crops on Sunday. And then in October, I decided to harvest my crops on Sunday. And I noticed I have a bigger yield and a better harvest than all my Christian neighbors, signed the farmer. The editor printed the letter, but then he put a, a letter note from the editor underneath his letter saying, Dear Sir, God does not always settle his accounts in October. <laughs> Meaning, yes, God is very patient with sinners and everybody, but that leads to our next, next lesson. God is slow to anger, but, next lesson, there comes a day. God will not always hold his anger back. Finally, sometimes he steps in and there comes a day. Uh, that may day, I don't know, it may have come for the United States of America. There's a story that along the banks of the Niagara River, 
is a sign and it says point of no return, meaning that if you're paddling on, in a canoe and you pass that sign, no matter how much you try to back paddle, you're going over the falls. America, with its abortion and pornography and now homosexual marriage, and you can't un turn on the TV set without the most vile stuff coming into your face. America, we have turned our back on God. I don't know if we've reached the point of no return, but I wonder. I don't see this nation turning around. The point I'm trying to make here is the point of the parable. There comes a day when God does something. Here's the next lesson from this parable. Beware of rejecting God's messengers, especially the Son. In other words, the 70% of the people in the USA Today poll who say it doesn't matter what you do with Jesus, they're wrong. It eternally matters what you do with Jesus, the Son of God. Which leads to the next lesson. Again, this parable is uh, from, uh, where are we at? We're in Mark chapter 12, the parable of the vineyard. Here's the next lesson from that parable. Destruction comes to those who destroy Jesus. Destruction comes to those who reject and destroy Jesus in this parable. Some time ago, the comedian George Carlin died. George Carlin was an atheist. I happened to see, some, shortly before he died, I saw him do some comedy act. It was spooky how much he hated God. He, he blasphemed and said things about God that were scary. And now he's dead, and George Carlin isn't laughing. According to this parable, if you reject Jesus, one day you will be destroyed. Next lesson. If you are unfaithful, God can take what is yours and give it to someone else. Uh, the Jewish leaders were unfaithful with their vineyard, so God took it from them and gave it to the Gentiles. And mostly the Gentiles became Christians. Uh, in the Old Testament, King Saul was unfaithful as a king, so God took the kingship from him, gave it to King David. Uh, in the New Testament, Judas was unfaithful and betrayed the Christ, so God took Judas' apostleship away from him in Acts chapter 1 and gave it to Matthias in his place. So if you are unfaithful with what God has given you, God can take it away from you and give it to someone else. This is happening all over America. The United Church of Christ, the Episcopal Church USA, the Presbyterian Church US, uh, USA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, these churches have gotten into very unbiblical doctrines. They all ordain practicing homosexuals. Many of them are into the heresy of universalism, abortion rights, and all this stuff. You know what's happening to those denominations? They're shrinking. They're vanishing, <laughs> slowly but surely. And you know who's growing in, in our churches in America? These Bible churches, these non-denominational churches that still believe in, in Scripture and in the holiness of God and, and aren't ashamed of talking about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and who still proclaim Jesus as the only way. If you're unfaithful with what God has given you, God can take that from you and give it to someone else. Next lesson. Evil men cannot thwart God's plan. I mean, God keeps sending these messengers, and they keep beating him up, and then they killed uh, his son. But in the end, God wins. And if America continues to go down the pro-abortion route, the homosexual marriage route, and all this, still you got to know, America, 
God's still going to win. I preached at a pro-life rally once, and I said this. The Supreme Court says abortion is okay, but one day the Supreme Supreme Court will tell us differently. In the end, God's going to win. Here's the last lesson from this parable. Even clear warnings cannot turn around those who are set on doing evil. Let me repeat that. In this parable, they kept getting these warnings and these messengers, but all the clear warnings still didn't budge these people whose heart was set to do evil. Here's what I thought of. Years ago, when I was an intern in Indiana, I was a practice preacher, I had a secretary. Her name was Lorraine, older woman, and she told me that when she was young, she used to drive through the countryside once a week to go to this small town where she would commit a sin. She didn't tell me what it was, but it, I think she had a boyfriend. But she said, you know, every week, though, when I would come around this curve or come around this hill, there was a man standing in white next to the road. And she said, I could see through him. And I know it was an angel. And she said, you know what? I saw that angel standing as if to say, Lorraine, turn around. But she said, you know what? I never turned around. <laughs> you know, you can have very clear warnings from God that you need to turn around. And if your heart is hard, you don't turn around. Years ago, I was dealing with a, a man who had a drinking problem. And I urged him to get the booze out of his house, and he wouldn't. And I met with him a number of times, and he was just drinking, and nobody was going to stop him. And finally, I said to him, sir, you can't take communion at our church anymore. I mean, you can come to the services, but you really can't be a member here, and you can't take Holy Communion because you won't get any help. And you know what he said to me? He said, when I'm in the mood to have a drink, if Jesus Christ himself was standing before me, I would still do it. And when I heard that, I resonated to that. I mean, I got my own struggles with sin. And, and when sin is strong and temptation is strong, I understand his point. But you know what I said to him? Okay, I understand. But could you take a baby step at getting help? <laughs> could you at least throw the booze away? Could you get into a Christian AA group or something? But he was hard-hearted, and no warning was going to turn him around. The question I want to ask for you on this program is, is God sending you warnings and you're just missing them, or you know they're there and you won't listen to them. The point of this parable is they, the, the, the owner of the vineyard came and he destroyed those who wouldn't repent. My urging for you is this. You and I need to turn to Christ, turn from our sins, put our trust in him, and follow Jesus. That'll bring you joy and happiness. You reject Jesus and live in sin. That'll bring you anguish in this life and the next. That is the point of the parable of the vineyard. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. This is the portion of the show where you, by checking out our website, which is at the end of the program, can send a question for a future program. So we invite you to check that out and do that. Pastor Brock, our first question today is that a person has heard that some New Age teachers claim that when Jesus was a child, he traveled to India and studied under gurus. 
Is there anything in the Bible that would make this sensible? A absolutely not. Jesus was raised in Nazareth. All the, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the early history we have is that Jesus was raised in Nazareth. He did not go to India and sit at the feet of some guru to become a New Age master. I mean, here's what's tragic. Some people in the New Age movement, they know that uh, something's good about Jesus, so they'll hijack him and, and have their own version of Jesus, and Jesus becomes a New Age guru to show, this is Oprah language now, to show you how to get in touch with your own Christ consciousness, because we're all the Christ. No, we're not. But that's the New Age movement taking control of a legitimate word, Jesus, giving a whole new meaning and confusing people. And New Age doesn't accept Jesus as the Savior or the Son of God? Well, here's what they, he's one of many. One but of Jackie, many. if you understand properly, you also are the Savior. You also are the Christ, Jackie, because we're all God. Okay. Yeah. Is it proper to say that Jesus is God the Father? Actually, that's not proper to say. Now, this is, gets confused. Jesus is God, but he's not God the Father. Let, 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 this gets confusing, and it's beyond our noodle. But well, there's one God in three persons, God the Father who made us, God the Son, Jesus who died for us, God the Holy Spirit who lives inside believers. Not three gods, one God in three persons. I kind of do like this, Jackie. Ice is water. Snow is water. Steam is water. Not three substances, one substance water, but three different forms, all right? The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Not three gods, one God and three persons. But, so there is a, there, it's only one God, but there are distinctions in the persons. For instance, God the Father did not die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross. I mean, I, there was a young preacher that I had to take aside because he prayed a prayer on Sunday morning. Thank you, God the Father, for dying on the cross. And I took him aside and I said, say, you know, that's a heresy. That's called potripassionism. That means God the Father died on the cross. No, he didn't. God the Son died on the cross. So there are distinctions in the Godhead. Um, so it's not proper to say that God the Father died on the cross. God the Son died on the cross. Is it wrong to correct somebody who says something I, like that? Or I, should I, we? I think humbly, gently, you do, you do that and say, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, one last question. If God is in control of everything anyway, why should we bother to pray? Well, because God not only ordains the ends, what happens at the end, he also ordains the means. God has ordained not just to do things, he's also ordained to do things through our prayers. So the reason we pray is because they have real effect, because God has ordained not only the ends, but the means. Yeah. And, you know, Jackie, we have real quick to say, everybody, uh, we are now, we've now expanded this TV show outside the Twin Cities to uh, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, and Illinois. And pray for this expansion. If you're in the Twin Cities or in one of these states and you would like a speaker to talk about these important things, I now am available to, available to speak. And I'd love to hear from you, so just look at the uh, address at the end or look at the website, pastorstudy.org. And we're going to play that right at the end of the program, at the end credits, so you'll get to see that address. Jot it down, and you'll be very happy to have Tom as a speaker. Thanks for being with us. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're all together again next time. Thank you for tuning into the Pastor's Day. We ask... Would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? 
address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.